Welcome to the Tudors Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, owner of TudorsDynasty.com. Welcome to the show. I recently finished reading a couple of books about Mary Tudor, sister of Henry VIII and Queen of France. It got me thinking about how fearless some of these women in the Tudor period really were. By today's standards, they would not be considered as brave, depending on what part of the world you live in, of course. But in 16th century England, the things these women did may have been considered reckless and disobedient by their male counterparts. Before we dive into this podcast, I need to take a minute to talk a bit about the show. If you're new to my podcast and found me on iTunes, you are missing out on a bunch of episodes that came before I integrated. If you're interested in hearing all of them, you can go to Patreon. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudors Dynasty and click on posts. I also have a link to them on TudorsDynasty.com in the menu. Just click on podcasts. If you found me on iTunes, I'd also love to see some more five-star ratings and comments there. The more reviews, the higher I will be in the recommendation list for Tudor lovers. So please go on over there and uh, rate me, even if it's not a five-star. I just want some ratings in there. Thank you. Speaking of Patreon, I need to thank my existing patrons. I'd like to thank Peggy P., Rachel H., Rachel D., Michelle T., Lynn J., Lacey W., Diane B., Kathy K., Christine T., Katie F., Stacy O., Joy B., James V., Anne L., Azaria J., Alithia B., Lisa N., Nora C., Sarah C., Wendy A., Mary W., Cynthia R., Melissa S., Nicole T., Mary T., Cheryl T., Carrie H, Heather T of the English Renaissance History Podcast, Tanya R, Donna K, Catherine R, Jen, Lara L, Megan B, Melissa C. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to continue with these podcasts. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. This week, I do want to give a special shout out to Peggy for being my biggest contributor. Peggy, you may not know how much your ongoing support means to me, so please know that I am truly grateful for your generosity. It's not only my podcast that you support, but you also support my website. TutorsDynasty.com started in June of 2015 as Tutors Weekly. This was a paperly account where I was able to share all kinds of tutor-related topics with those who found my page. A few months into it, I realized that I had ideas of articles I wished to write, but I never considered myself a writer. I really only knew that I loved the Tudor era. With the support and encouragement of my wonderful husband, he convinced me to start writing. He said, the more you write, the better you'll get. I wasn't sure if he was right, and I was terrified of the reaction I would get from social media, but I did it anyway. And I was pleasantly surprised by the response I received. At the beginning, there weren't critics who picked apart my articles or scolded me for any bad grammar. That didn't come until later when more people discovered my site. In 2016, I decided to switch my name from Tudors Weekly to Tudors Dynasty. I was posting articles way more than once a week, and using Dynasty kind of seemed to convey more what I was doing. It stuck, and now I'm known as such on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook. But let's be honest, if you want to stay in contact with me and see more social media posts, it will be on Facebook. 
All the money received from patrons like you go right back into the show. The cost of running the website and research materials, including subscription to those hidden or hard to find documents. Believe it or not, I do have a full-time day job and this is just something I do in my ever-decreasing downtime. Creating a podcast can easily take 15 hours a week, something that my husband may not be too keen about, but he does understand that it's my passion and he supports me. He also might not understand why I'm so obsessed with the tutors. If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, you can go to Patreon. Again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tutors Dynasty and click on Become a Patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can show your support. Before we get started with the show, I want to address what's going on with Facebook. Facebook is changing, and because of this change, you're going to start seeing less posts from me in your feed, if you see them at all. Facebook wants to control what you see, and in my opinion, they don't want businesses getting free publicity or marketing. This will mean in order for me to ensure that you see my posts, I'll have to pay Facebook to boost it in order for you to see it in your feed. This is something that those in our community, like authors and other bloggers, just can't afford to do. The only way around this is to come to my page directly, so please don't forget about me and my page. Keep coming and interacting. I love it. Also, if you love reading the articles from my website, you can subscribe by email to be notified whenever a new post goes up. I won't send you marketing or newsletters or any anything other than articles, so you don't have to worry about getting spammed. Thank you for your friendship and patronage, and I hope to talk to you soon. Now, let's get on with the show. Sit back, relax, close your eyes, and prepare to be transported back in time to Tudor, England. When I began to think about which Tudor women I considered fearless, I realized that these women would also fall under the category of brave. So with that in mind, let's look at the definition of both words. The definition of fearless is, obviously, lack of fear. The definition of the word brave is ready to face and endure danger or pain, showing courage. Here are synonyms of the word brave. Courageous, valiant, heroic, fearless, and daring. Did you catch that? Fearless. Okay, so with that in mind, who are some of the Tudor women you thought deserved to be on this list? Before I name the list, I took a moment to look back on my own life. There is only one instance when I saw myself as brave or fearless. It was when I was 18 years old. I'll give you a little backstory to put it into perspective. I may or may not have been a bit rebellious when I was 18. Anyway, I was hanging out with all the wrong people and ended up getting beat up. I ended up in the emergency room with a concussion, a fat lip, strained neck, and a huge bump on my head. There's so much more to this, but I really don't want you to hear all the details about how I got beat up because it's not one of my proudest moments. Anyway, when I was in the ER, I had to give a statement to the police. At the time, I was terrified because these girls attacked me and they were local gang members. Let's keep in mind this was the 90s, so... They weren't really like Bloods or Crips. They were like local gang members. Anyway, I feared that if I did anything, that they would come after me again. But the officer explained to me that they had done this to others before me and that nobody was willing to press charges. It was at that moment that I decided I was in control and I would stop this from happening to anyone else. I pressed charges and had to be witnessed against them in court. That was the scariest thing I had done at that point in my life. But because of my actions, those girls turned their lives around. And with that being said, my modern day example of when I thought I was being brave obviously does not stand up to these ladies' situations. 
Okay, so with that in mind, who are some of the Tudor women that you thought deserved to be on this list? I took a poll on social media and came up with a list of who you all thought deserved to be on it and who I thought deserved to be named. So here's a list in no particular order. Catherine of Aragon, Margaret Pohl, Anne Boleyn, Catherine Parr, Anne Eskew, Margaret Douglas, Catherine Willoughby, Anne Stanhope, Mary Boleyn, Mary Tudor, Queen Mary I, Queen Elizabeth I, Elizabeth Barton, Margaret Beaufort, Elizabeth of York, Jane Grey, Bess of Hardwick, Margaret Tudor, Mary Queen of Scots, Catherine Grey, Mary Grey, and Mary Howard. Now, before I give you my list of the most fearless women in Tudor England, I want you to understand that this is my list, and I've chosen these women by my own opinions. So my views may not line up with yours exactly, so please don't be mad. I tried to look at this objectively and honestly before deciding. So many of the women you all listed were brave, but I had to choose who was the most and give reasons as to why. So I picked the top two or three who I believe deserve to be honored. Here are the honorable mentions of most fearless women in Tudor England, in no particular order. Elizabeth Tudor, future Queen of England. Mary Tudor, Queen of France for secretly marrying Brandon without the permission of her brother, the king, and for standing against Henry's marriage to Anne Boleyn. Margaret Tudor, Queen of Scotland. I excluded Margaret because, for the most part, she was in Scotland and not in England. Mary Boleyn for marrying William Stafford while her sister was queen and not obtaining permission. Anne Boleyn. Margaret Douglas for wanting to marry without the king's permission. Twice. Mary Howard, not remarrying after the death of her husband and giving testimony in the downfall of her brother and father. So who's missing from that list? Who did I choose as the most fearless women in Tudor England? Does it come as any surprise that Catherine of Aragon should be near the top? I don't think so. I also included with her her daughter Mary, and here are the reasons why. When Henry VIII believed that Catherine of Aragon would no longer be able to give him a male heir, he began to look for ways out of the marriage. Whether he truly believed his own statements or if he was just looking for a way out, only he and his closest advisors would know. Henry's biggest concern was that Catherine's marriage to his older brother Arthur must have been consummated, and that is why he had not been able to conceive a surviving son and male heir with her. While reading Sarah Griswood's book, Game of Queens, she discusses two different debates regarding Henry's concern with the first marriage. In the book of Leviticus, the Bible says, If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. Thy shall be childless. In Henry's mind, this meant not without child, but without male heir. Clearly, he interpreted things the way that would benefit him the most. However, in the book of Deuteronomy, it contradicts Leviticus, saying that a man has a duty to marry his deceased brother's widow and to raise up seed for his brother. So which was it? Was Henry supposed to marry his brother's widow, or was he not? The ultimate question was whether or not Catherine of Aragon and Arthur, Prince of Wales, had consummated their marriage. When the papal legates, Compagio and Wolsey, visited Catherine and tried to convince her to join a nunnery, she refused. They told the Pope, although she is very religious and extremely patient, she will not accede in the least. Catherine swore on her conscience that she and Prince Arthur had never consummated their marriage and declared that she intended to live and die in the estate of matrimony to which God had called her. Cardinal Compagio attempted to sway the queen, 
but she would not listen. Wolsey warned her to yield to the king's displeasure. She snapped at him, saying, Of this trouble, I thank only you, my lord of York. Of malice you kindled this fire, especially for the great grudge you bear to my nephew, the emperor, because he would not gratify your ambition by making you pope by force. Wolsey then went on to excuse himself. He stated that it had been sore against his will that ever the marriage should be in question, and he promised as legate for the pope to be impartial. Catherine did not believe him, as she knew Wolsey to be the closest advisor to the king. On the 26th of October, 1528, by her request, Compagio heard Catherine's confession. She declared upon the salvation of her soul that she had never been carnally known by Prince Arthur. Compagio believed that she was speaking the truth, but continued to push for her to go to a nunnery. In 1531, Catherine was still declaring herself Henry's true wife. Henry was attempting to force Catherine to sign his act of supremacy. She refused, stating that the Pope was the only true sovereign and vicar of God. She went on to say, I love and have loved my lord the king as much as any woman can love a man, but I would not have borne him company as his wife for one moment against the voice of my conscience. I am his true wife. Around 1532, when Henry VIII requested Catherine of Aragon return her jewels to the crown, she fell ill soon after. But to be quite honest, Catherine was already ill. She had made a request to see her good friend and imperial ambassador, Eustace Chapuis, and Chapuis, wanting to follow court rules, requested permission from the king to see Catherine at Kimbolton. The chronicler reported Henry VIII saying, Yes, ambassador, you have my permission. I will send you word when you can go. Henry did not send word. After the marriage of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, and a year after the birth of Princess Elizabeth, King Henry had demanded that his daughter Mary take the oath to the act of succession, which meant that her parents were never married and she was illegitimate. Mary had refused his request and was understandably fearful of someone trying to harm her because of it. Henry's retribution was to not allow the person most important to her, her mother, to be near her. In addition, he dismissed her household and placed her in the care of Lady Anne Shelton, who was the aunt of her enemy, Anne Boleyn. The mother and daughter team did not make things easy for Anne and Henry. They fought tooth and nail to keep what was rightfully theirs. Not only did Mary stand up to her father, but also her brother when he was king of England. Mary was a staunch Catholic and voiced her distaste for the government's religious policies. Because of her fearlessness, she became a figurehead for the conservatives. Mary and her household continued to hear Mass secretly and unapologetically. To Mary, the Mass and all the traditional Catholic rites represented the true faith. She also believed that her brother, King Edward, was being led astray by his council. Because of her strong beliefs, in January 1549, she argued against the Act of Uniformity, stating that religion be left untouched until Edward reached his majority. Here's a quote from the book Edward VI by Chris Skidmore. On Whit Sunday, in defiance of the introduction of the prayer book, Mary celebrated Mass in her chapel at Kenninghall with particular pomp. On the 16th of June, the council delivered a restrained letter ordering her to desist and to use the new prayer book instead. Mary wrote back on the 22nd of June, saying, I have offended no law, unless it be late law of your own making, for the altering of matters in religion, which, in my conscience, is not worthy to have the name of a law. 
Even Somerset saw that he could not get her to change her mind. However, his greatest wish was, if he couldn't, that she would continue as such, quietly and without scandal. While Mary's fight continued on, and she would not back down. In my mind, and I can assume many of yours as well, Anne Eskew was by far the most fearless woman in Tudor, England. On the 16th of July, 1546, the Protestant martyr Anne Eskew was burned at the stake for her beliefs. Anne had been unfairly racked till her bones and joints were almost plucked asunder in such sort as she was carried away in a chair. She had been imprisoned in the tower by Thomas Risley and Richard Rich in an attempt to force her to implicate Queen Catherine Parr and other prominent court members, including Anne Stanhope and her husband, Edward Seymour. She never gave up names. Anne Eskew was strong in her beliefs. She truly believed that everyone should be able to read the Bible for themselves and not only rely on the clergy to interpret it for them, something we take for granted in the 21st century, for sure. John Fox, English historian and martyrologist, recorded the event in his book, Acts and Monuments, which was a book that emphasized the suffering of English Protestants. Here is what he had to say. She being born of such stock and kindred that she might have lived a great wealth and prosperity if she would rather have followed the world than Christ. But now she was so tormented that she could neither live long in so great distress, neither yet by the adversaries be suffered to die in secret. Wherefore, the day of her execution was appointed, and she was brought to Smithfield in a chair, because she could not go on her feet by means of her great torment. When she was brought unto the stake, she was tied up by the middle with a chain that held her body up. When all things were thus prepared to the fire, Dr. Shaxton who was then appointed to preach, began his sermon. Then Risley, Lord Chancellor, sent to Annescue letters offering to her the king's pardon if she would recant, who, refusing once to look upon them, made this answer again, that she came not thither to, to deny her lord and master. Then the letters were likewise offered unto the others, who, in like manner, following the constancy of the woman, denied not only to receive them, but also to look upon them. Whereupon the Lord Mayor, commanding fire to be put unto them, cried with a loud voice, Let justice be done. And thus the good Anne Askew, with these blessed martyrs, being troubled so many manner of ways, and having paused through so many torments, having now ended the long course of her agonies, being compassed in with flames of fire, as a blessed sacrifice unto God. She slept in the Lord, A.D. 1546 leaving behind her a singular example of Christian constancy for all men and women to follow. It is difficult to imagine what it was truly like for women to live during this time period. We hear so many awful stories about how women's voices did not matter and how their lives were seen as inferior to men. By still talking about them 500 years later, we honor these women and the difficult lives that they lived. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Until next time.